All right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, lead pastor here, and uh, excited to just jump back into Romans. Uh, this is week 27 of walking through this book, and I hope that it's been encouraging to you. It's been thoughtful. Uh, it's been a process, and um, there's a lot going on uh, for sure in this book, and so trying to uh, get it to where I can understand it after reading a lot of books and commentaries uh, has been a lot of fun um, and challenging at the same time. And so, uh, yeah, so just excited that we are going to be back into this this morning. Uh, we will be until until uh, we get to Christmas, which will be here before we know it. So uh, we spent the first kind of the spring, again, just kind of looking at the gospel. What is the gospel? And looking at the Apostle Paul's arguments that it is grace alone by faith alone. There's just no argument there. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody needs Jesus and Jesus alone. We can't do anything to add to our faith. And so now we are getting into these chapters uh, that we've talked about in chapters four through eight of, well, then how do we live then? And, and, and today we're really going to start seeing that. The next several weeks, we're really going to get into how does the gospel truth that's now impacted my life affect how I live? Uh, does it affect? Should it affect? And so we will uh, be jumping into that last week. Uh, we did this really for two weeks, but looking at the true and better Adam in Romans chapter 5, but specifically 15 through 21 last week, uh, just looking at the superiority of Christ. I mean, just being able to, to zoom in and look at Jesus and how amazing he actually is. Uh, if, if you grew up in the church, uh, we just get so used to just hearing about Jesus. Yep, yeah, he died for my sins, cool. It, but, but just to really sit in that and bask in the Apostle Paul's writing about who Jesus is to every single one of us and how powerful and superior he is to every issue that we could ever possibly face. And so we looked at the comparison between Adam and Jesus, that there are some similarities in a positive way of one man uh, sin and one man uh, obedience and, and salvation. And then there's some uh, differences between them that we, we looked at. So um, I'm going to go back to one of those verses because it just flows right into this thought. I think a lot of times when you, when you uh, approach a book the way we have and you kind of go little chunk by little chunk, little chunk, we kind of forget that there was one author uh, who wrote the entire book with a, 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 an idea of what he was doing. Uh, and so it's not just little chunk by little chunk. It's one, one story, one flow, one thought. And so um, I just want to go back and kind of connect that in. Uh, and so this week's sermon, though, is entitled Sin Boldly. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. That phrase, sin boldly, um, you've probably heard me say that. It's a quote from Martin Luther and the Diet of Worms. I'll get into that in a little bit. But I, I remember sinning boldly. I remember, especially as a child, uh, I enjoyed to sin boldly full well knowing I was going to get get a whooping for it, right? That was, right? And, and, and I and very, very vividly, distinctly remember using this droid. Uh, this was from uh, The Empire Strikes Back uh, on Hoth, in case you were wondering. Um, now, this doesn't, it, it makes me sound older than what I am. This movie came out in, in 1980. That's, that was before I was born. But I remember walking around Sam's Club uh, with my dad, and you know, they had the TVs. Back then it would have been the tube TVs, the projection TVs, big, big screen TVs. And for whatever reason, this was what was on. This was playing. And I, and I remember, uh, you know, I was young. It was probably early 90s. I was probably six or seven. 
and we're watching. I was, we just kind of stopped, you know, and again, you know, my dad was just like, Hey, you watch TV. I'll do my shopping. I guess. I don't know. We just were sitting there in front of the TV watching this. And I knew like my sister, she's, she's three years older than me. And I just did not like her. Uh, there was like, there's no fond memories of me hanging out with my sister growing up. It was like, we did not like each other. We didn't get along. We, and, and so if I ever had a chance to make her cry, I would take it. It was just, that's just how it was. And it was like, you're, you're, you're older than me. How come I can just say something and you cry? Um, but I loved it, right? I, I, I gloried in that. And so I remember when this droid came on, it's right at the beginning of the, of the movie, and I remember I just said to my sister, which was a good insult at the time, I just said, look, Amy, you're famous uh, when this droid came on. And, and she didn't like that, right? So she starts crying. She goes to find dad. And then dad just hears, you know, his little girl crying in the store. He's obviously in attack mode. And then I'm, I'm the problem, which was usually the case. You'd think he would have learned, like, oh, Amy's crying. Brian, what'd you do? Um, but no. And, and so I did, I would do that, I would sin boldly. This comes from, though, again, this phrase uh, from Martin Luther, he's in this Diet of Worms, this big scene, he's in front of the emperor and the pope and all these different people, and he's saying, hey, I'm gonna, I stand by what I wrote. I wrote these things saying, hey, the, the pope doesn't get to dictate how I live. This, these external laws by the church that the church is putting in on me, it has to, it can only be subject to the scriptures. And so he's, he's doing all this, and this is the phrase, this is the quote, and that sometimes has been misquoted by just saying, oh, sin boldly. If you're gonna sin, I guess just go ahead and do it because grace covers everything. So let me, let me read the quote here from, from Martin Luther. He says, if you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary, but a true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the, tr uh, the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong or sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here for this, uh, for this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory, we have recognized the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. No sin can separate us from him. Even if we were to kill or to commit adultery thousands of times each day, do you think that such an exalted lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for your sins? Pray hard for you are quite a sinner. So this is real sin. Your sins are real, but they were paid for with a real price. And so there's, there's, a, there's an action that follows that. So he's not saying, go ahead, just, just do whatever you want. It's not what he's trying to say. He's saying, this is real. These are real sins. And so, so let's get into this text. Romans chapter six, verse one through 14. If you're able, go ahead and stand. I'm gonna just read through this. And so the apostle Paul here is gonna say, uh, starting in verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. Should we just sin boldly? Should we just go ahead and do sin? And then he responds to that in verse two, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism, <clears throat> excuse me, into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ then we believe that we will also live with him, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you, you may be seated. All right, we're gonna see this natural question that's gonna pop up at the beginning there of what I just read. Because again, going, going back to chapter five, the end of it, verse 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul, as we looked at this last week, now the law came in to increase this trespass, increase sin. Law comes and then sin increases. This, I was just watching a little video of some guy, he was out in a boat and there was a cop boat. I don't know what you call them. I don't know. I don't know if they're DNR or what they were. And they made a gesture to this cop as he was going by, right? And he goes, right, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, it's America, free speech, right? You can, you can do a little hand gesture anytime you want. I think that's legal. Uh, but the cop didn't like that, right? And so while they did nothing wrong, he is allowed to go and pull them over or whatever you do in the water, I don't know. And he, and he gets next to him and he says, hey, good job pulling attention to yourself. Let me see your registration. Do you have nine life, life raft or nine life preservers in your boat? Do you have a fire extinguisher, right? And he gives them all these tickets because there's laws, right? And these laws that were there increase the sin, right? Were they doing anything wrong? No, they're on a boat. But they weren't obeying all these Laws, right? The, the law comes around and then sin increases. But the Apostle Paul says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the, the logical question that he's gonna uh, hypothetically ask is if we were sitting there listening to him read this, to him of this, okay? That where sin increased, well, then grace abounded all the more. Well, then why can't we just sin boldly, right? Uh, Douglas Moo says this, Paul asserts in Romans chapter six that Christ's death on our behalf frees us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin also. Justification, acquittal from the guilt of sin and sanctification, deliverance from sinning must not be confused but neither can they be separated. He said, we've been justified. We've been made in right standing. We've been declared innocent by the gospel, by Jesus Christ. No longer am I under condemnation. And also at the same time, in the same breath, the law, and I know it doesn't save me. Does it make me better? Does it put me in a better standing with God? That we have what the gospel does, this idea of sanctification, deliverance from sinning. And so the Apostle Paul is going to give us his answer. Uh, a lot of you know that I have this, you know, old uh, 96 Jeep Cherokee that I love. 
um, and it's getting, it's getting rough. Uh, the days are numbered, I think, but uh, I still enjoy it. You know, you can only roll one window up at a time or you blow a fuse and it's just all, it's a mess. Um, but I love it. I love this. I love this. If I have to go do an errand and Angela's out on a walk with the kids or whatever, and I've got the choice between a new-ish van and a 30-year-old Jeep, I always choose the Jeep. I always choose. I, I love driving a Jeep. It's a fun vehicle to drive. Now, uh, Henry, my six-year-old, he takes piano lessons from his grandma, uh, my mother-in-law, who just lives down the street. She's maybe a half mile down the street. And if he said, hey, dad, I've got piano lesson today. Can I ride my bike? He'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I trust you to do that. Just go straight to grandma's. Uh, I'm going to give her a call in 10 minutes. And if you're not there, I'm going to come looking for it, right? That, that, but I, I would trust him with that. Now, if, if Henry, though, on his way out, uh, right by the, our, our side door, kind of by the garage there, we have you know, a little thing that we hang our keys on when I remember to, to do that. Um, and, and if Henry was just running out and he, and he reaches up and he grabs my, grabs my car keys, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? And he's like, well, the Jeep's faster. I've, I've seen you do it a million times. I'm just going to take the Jeep. Uh, immediately, no. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, I don't even have, I wouldn't even have words to express about how badly the answer's no here. And that is exactly what the apostle Paul is doing. Should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Right? Again, natural conclusion. Hey, sin increases grace even more. So wait a second, the more I sin, the more grace is demonstrated on behalf of Christ. And he has this phrase in here, by no means. It is as strong of a no as you could possibly say. The King James translates this, God forbid, I mean, absolutely not immediately, no. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? I'm gonna come back to that phrase. He's gonna bring that phrase up again of being dead to sin. So we're not gonna focus on that right here just yet. But in verse three, he starts this illustration. He says, this is, this is what our relationship is with Christ. This is a, an illustration of our union with Christ, of being one with Christ. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He paints this image of seeing Jesus buried, dead and buried in the tomb. That was us spiritually dead cannot do anything other than be dead. And he, Jesus, raises himself by the power of his spirit and he walks in newness of life. He is resurrected from the dead. The apostle Paul is saying, that is us. That is our union with Christ. You were spiritually dead and now spiritually alive. But he's gonna go even a step further and say, yeah, he was also physically dead and now physically alive. And someday that will be the case for us. This is why, as a Baptist, we practice this idea of baptism by immersion. This was just a couple of weeks ago, and Catherine Minx was baptized at Lake Owasso. And, and I say that every time I've ever done a baptism, I quote these verses. I take them and I say, you are now baptized with him in the likeness of his death, and you're raised, raised to walk in newness of life. There's something that's going on here, remembering, going back to this idea of my faith in Christ and my union with him. And this is just a, an outward expression of that inward reality of faith 
in Christ. What a beautiful image that this is, a powerful image of I am in union with Christ. There's something different about me because of who I am positionally in Christ. So then how does this impact the way that we live? It says this in verse five. For if we have been united with him in his death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Right, this is the, this is the union with Christ. He has been resurrected. We, we too are going to have a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him and ordered the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body, not bad. Right? We do bad things with our bodies. The Apostle Paul's not saying the physical world and realm is evil, spiritual good. No, no, no. This is going to be redeemed by Christ so that, the, uh, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Before our faith in Christ, sin wasn't optional. That's what he's saying, right? When I was a young boy and, I'm, and I decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna insult my sister so that I'm, I know I'm gonna get punished. I know I'm gonna get spanked for this, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna punish my sister with my actions. Now, I know better. I know I'm gonna get punished for it. I could have in those moments said, you know what, I'm not gonna make fun of my sister uh, and, and therefore, right? So I had a choice. Choice is human. We, we have that, that choice. However, by me not insulting my sister does not put me in a right and better standing with God. Doesn't do anything. God is not pleased with my actions as a non-believer when I don't insult my sister. I am an enemy of God and I am under his deserved wrath. But now positionally in Christ, I have a choice. I've been set free from that dominion of sin. I used to work at this camp, the wilds in North Carolina. I know I've shared some stories about this, but that we had this phrase that we would say, I, I mean, I felt like every time the staff would get together, uh, the, the, the camp director, I don't remember the guy's name, Ken Ham, that was his name. Uh, he would, no, not Ken Ham. That's a very different guy. <laughs> Ham Ken, Kent. No, I, I don't remember his name. Anyways, um, he, he would get up there and he would have this phrase. He would say, just two choices on the shelf. And then we would all reply, pleasing God or pleasing self. <laughs> Sin is always a choice. The devil doesn't make you do it. The demons don't make you do it. You might be tempted to do it, but you can always now, because of your position in Christ, say no. If we have died, if we are positionally in Christ, we have been set free from sin. There are just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self, which leads into this idea. So how do we stop sinning? What is our motivation behind this? I don't want to get into details and names and I don't want to imply secrets. It's one of our big things around here at Hope uh, that I don't want to make, whatever. Uh, one of our pastors from downtown was having a, a, a conversation on this topic with another, you know, kind of a celebrity pastor, well-known. And, and they were on this great, on this idea of, of gospel and grace and law. And, and what our pastor at, from Hope was like, I, I, I think that the gospel is the motivation, right? How do, we, how do we stop them from sinning? How do we stop ourselves? How do we stop our people from sinning? And our answer is the gospel is the answer. Jesus is always the answer and he's the motivation. 
Because this pastor was like, yeah, there's gotta be law. There's gotta be consequences for our actions. The way a Christian ought to live or should live. But I would say, and I, I think it's, it's just right here in this text, that how do we stop from sinning is, we, is because of the love of Christ, not our love for Christ. I chose that word carefully. The love of Christ for us is what motivates us to stop sinning. It's a gospel motivation. Will I ever stop sinning? Probably not. But what Paul is saying here is that I have a choice. I have a choice to sin boldly or to not sin. Should we sin boldly, knowing grace will cover it? Again, Paul is arguing that cannot be our motivation to sin. Well, God's got it. He's got it. That's not the position of a child that sees the love of Christ. But rather our motivation is not uh, to not sin is that Jesus loved me when I was an enemy. And going back to chapter five, he's now brought me peace with God, who I was an enemy of peace with God. He brings me access to grace and joy, even in the midst of suffering and salvation, not just death to life or death to neutrality, but abundant life, a seat at the table. We see again in this text that death loses for those in Christ. I think this again, one of those phrases that we get so numb to because we see death all around us. We, we all know loved ones who have died. We see it, family members, friends, coworkers. I've never seen someone raised from the dead. I, I didn't get to see Lazarus. I didn't get to see Jesus. I didn't, I didn't get to see these people, but we see death. So there's, there's a lot of faith in this, but Jesus had to have risen from the dead or this, I mean, what are we doing? Right, this is a weird group to be part of if Jesus doesn't conquer death. But we get so numb to this idea. We take the inevitability, inevitability of death and we make it commonplace because it is. One of my uh, favorite movies when I was growing up, I haven't seen this in a long time. It's called Meet Joe Black. Uh, most of you, it came out in 98, so you probably don't, a lot of you weren't even born then. Um, this was, uh, it was a long movie as a matter of fact, it had two cassette tapes on VHS, right? You'd, you'd put it in the VCR and then, and then at like just a weird spot, it would just kick it out and like, oh, put the new, put the new tape in, right? This movie though, uh, Brad Pitt in this movie plays death. He is death. And the movie starts, he's himself, he's just a normal guy. <clears throat> and he's at a, at a little diner and he meets uh, somebody and they hit it off. Uh, and so Brad Pitt and this gal, I don't remember her name or the actress name, but they're hitting it off and they, they just seem to have a good time. They're walking out and they're leaving from this diner and Brad Pitt starts walking away and she starts walking the opposite way, but they don't ever exchange numbers. They don't even know each other's names. And, and Brad Pitt's character stops and he turns back and he sees her continuing to walk away. And then he goes, I guess she wasn't really as into me the way as I was. So he turns around and starts walking away. And the second he does that, she stops and she looks and sees him walking away. And they do this three times where they just keep turning back, but they never see each other. But the last time Brad Pitt is standing there looking back, he gets hammered by a bus and dies, okay? <laughs> and then he comes back and the girl he ends up meeting, that's her father in the picture. Uh, what's, his, what's, uh, what's that actor's name? Anthony Hopkins. 
um, uh, he's this wealthy businessman and, and death, Brad Pitt is there to collect Anthony Hopkins. But he wants to enjoy life. So he meets this girl who happens to be the same girl. Here's the point. She, she finally figures out this is death. This isn't the same guy. This is actually death in body. And, uh, and she says, what happened to the other guy that I was talking to? And he says, well, I needed a body. Right? Just, just very matter of fact, right? Is there, and, and Anthony Hopkins and everybody else, he comes, is there any way to stop this? He's like, no. Death is inevitable for every single one of us. It becomes so commonplace that when we read things like this, that Jesus conquers death in the grave, we just kind of go, yeah, this has to be true. This has to be true, that Jesus conquers death. And Paul is saying here that if we have been saved by God's grace, we in some mysterious way take part in his resurrection, his physical resurrection. He says again in verse eight, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Again, not just spiritually, physically. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again and death no longer has dominion over him. That somewhere in the universe, Jesus Christ is in his glorified body. He's preparing a place, whatever that means and whatever that looks like. We get a little glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 20. I'm not gonna get into the nitty gritty this last fall. I spent 10 plus hours in a class lecturing on these verses, okay? So I'm not gonna, I'll probably never preach from this pulpit on, these, on this topic, but uh, you can watch it if you ever want to. Revelation chapter 20. So I'm not gonna get into to like what, what, what's going on here, right? Because the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, could mean a lot of different things, but there are things that are very clear, very clear, even in passages that might seem a little encrypted. Revelation chapter 20, four through six, it says, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So there's, there's a resurrection, something happens, and then there's another resurrection after a period of time. And the apostle John here says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. What is John talking about here? He's saying that there is a first death. There is the inevitability of death that every single one of us at some point in our lives is going to experience. One of us in this room will outlive everybody in this room. It's just reality. It's a hard, sad reality. But what the apostle John says though, but there's this second death. Every human being is gonna experience the first death, but there's a second death, an eternal spiritual death that also needs to take place. But if we are in Christ, no longer do we have to fear a spiritual or physical death. We are resurrected and the second death, eternal death has no power. That's Christ. And that's what Christ accomplishes. We do nothing to add to anything to our not second death. Back to Romans. It says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This just screams. And I wanted to read the whole chapter, but then I thought, no, I'll, I won't do that to everybody. 
But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Just nonstop, just just doing this over and over. And it says, and again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. If the law or if sacrifices could take away our sin, Jesus dies in vain. He says, but when this priest, when Jesus Christ had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, his body, his blood, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I love how the author of Hebrews does this. Do you see this? The end of that verse, in verse 14. He has made perfect forever. He has justified. He has redeemed. We are in right standing for before God, those who are in the process of being made holy. He's made perfect those who are being made perfect. There's a justification and there's a sanctification that happens. Positionally, I'm okay in Jesus. And in my sanctification, what the apostle Paul is saying here is I'm still okay in Jesus. I need Jesus to free me from my sin. I need Jesus to help me fight my sin. So then the apostle here is gonna say, consider yourselves dead to sin in Christ. So you also, So you also, because of now your union with Christ, now you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's our position now. Consider yourselves, just think about this. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ because of what Christ did, not because of what you've done. Because of our union with Christ. This is now us positionally, again, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life, dead to sin, alive to God. And so something that I say on a weekly basis, we've been set free from sin. We've been set free from the law. So prove it. There's a sanctification here that says, yes, but my motivation, what's urging me forward can't be law and guilt and shame. It's Jesus. He's the greatest motivator. So how do we keep ourselves from sinning? Again, Paul argues again and again because we are positionally new creatures, not guilt or shame driven, right? My my present self included in this, uh, I can sin and feel no guilt about it, right? We've all been there. I, I can do something wrong and have peace about it. That doesn't make it right. And so if law and guilt and shame is the motivator for me to not do it, it's not going to work. I might work a few times. I remember in college uh, uh, when I was, uh, I remember just really, really struggling with, with lust. And I remember I went to my, my dorm soup and I just said, hey, I'm, I'm, man, I'm really struggling. I don't, you got any advice? I wish, he'd, I wish he would have opened the Bible and the gospel and said, here is what you need. You need to turn your eyes to Jesus. But instead he said, when you feel uh, this temptation, I want you to just uh, go run a lap around the dorm. Yeah, I did that once. You know what I mean? Like you want me to use my flesh to win victory over my flesh. Do you see how that doesn't work? I need Jesus to motivate me to fight my flesh. It's not a good motivation. It cannot be you ought to do this or you should do this, but rather this is who we are. This is who you are in Christ. That is Paul's argument. 
So he says, let not sin therefore, therefore because of our new position in Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion because it can't make you obey, it's a choice. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is a new position. I am a new creature. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And we could again, really get nitpicky on here what the law is, but I really think that what Paul is getting here at in this passage is saying that we cannot earn our right standing with God by law. We cannot please God under law, but under grace. Over and over and over again, that is his argument. And so we see then that Jesus is so incredibly superior. That was last week. Jesus is superior to my problems and my issues in life. This week, it's the same phrase. Jesus is incredibly superior, but now specifically to your sin. And he's also set you free from the power of that sin. You have died to pride. You've died to the idea that you're just not able to admit when you're wrong. The gospel sets us free from the idea that I need to look good and act right. It sets us free from that. It sets me free to the idea that someone can speak truth into my life and say, Brian, man, I've really noticed this thing that you do that's just not okay. And I don't have to hide and guilt and shame and try to cover it and hide it up. I can say, man, I'm so glad you exposed that because I want to repent of it because of what Christ has done. That's what the gospel does. It sets us free from that. It sets us free from false humility. Now, you don't need to be a big deal. Can we be honest? We're not. So stop. You're not a big deal. Jesus already loves you enough for who you are as a human being made in his image that he died for you. That's enough. He died and you have died to lust that this thing is what I need. If I just had that, that it will satisfy. No, it won't. Addiction, probably in a very similar vein that this thing, if I have this, that I I have to escape from this reality of whatever it is. I'm under so much pressure. The gospel sets you free. Uh, Angel and I recently went to a Metro Hope uh, gala and, uh, you know, this fundraiser thing. And we just heard testimony after testimony after testimony. And what was beautiful about it, and a lot of them even said this, they said, it has nothing to do with my sobriety. I'm glad I'm sober, but I'm not up here to talk about how long I've been sober. I'm up here to talk about Jesus and how Jesus is the answer. That's what sets you free. Those are maybe sins of commission, but how about sins of omission, of not loving the spouse, my spouse, the way that Christ loves me? We die to that. I can love because Christ loved me first. About our anxiety and fear of the future. I don't mean about like, a, like I struggle or I had an anxiety attack. I don't mean about something clinical. I mean about me stressing about the future that I cannot control. I have no control over the future. Uh, Angel and I have been watching this show. It's a doctor show. Um, uh, it's a hospital in New York City. 
I don't even know if it's real. What? No, not Dr. Ham. Dr. Ken Ham. Uh, it is, um, oh, New Amsterdam. Thank you. Yes. So it's, been a, it's been a pretty good show so far. Uh, anyways, there was a scene last night where there's this, this uh, psychologist doctor, psych doctor, uh, and he and, and there's this girl who's struggling and having some things, and she is worried about this foster home that she's getting into, and she's really freaking out about it. She's she's very fearful and anxious about something that might potentially happen in the future that the George judge or the courts might do. And he said he has this phrase, and I was like, man, that was that was really good. Uh, and now I'm thinking of it. Um, he says, "Are those feelings or are those facts?" <laughs> right? And she thinks about it, and she goes. Yeah, those are feelings. And he goes, okay, let's focus on the facts. Let's focus on what we can do. And anything beyond that, we can't do anything about it. The gospel sets us free from things that we absolutely have no control over. You've been set free from that as well. And obviously this list and these lists could go on and on and on. But we get to, as the author of Hebrews have said, we get to now take communion and we get to look to the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginner and the ender of our faith. Not he's the beginner and we kind of do a lot of the stuff in between and then, no, he does it from start to finish. And he is the one that has sat down at the right hand of God. It is his body, his blood, not our body, not our blood. He has set us free. And so as we take these elements, I want you to just think there might be one sin that, and one temptation that you really struggle with and just praise God that he set you free from that, that it is a choice. And I would just pray. I want to pray with you right now that God, whatever is going on in anyone's life this week, that your spirit would just scream at them, that your spirit would speak into their life and that when they're tempted, that they would know that they have the ability and the option to say no to God be the glory. Amen. We have that power in Christ Jesus now, self-included. So as we take these elements, we get to remember the finished work of Christ, his body which is broken, and his blood that was shed, the only sacrifice that we ever need, our justification and our sanctification. All I would ask is that you remember, no, I, sorry, all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you look to this Jesus and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that freedom that I could have in that Christ, I would love for you to partake and take these elements with us. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church. You could just be a follower of Jesus. And if you worship King Jesus, please let's take these elements together. Let me pray and uh, worship team will come up and sing two songs. So feel to grab those, those elements as you uh, see fit and we'll worship uh, together as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. You are so undeservingly good. The Apostle Paul just it so clearly outlines in the first few chapters how sinful we are. We are enemies of yours. And you have to make the first move. You need to be the player coach. You need to be the one that writes yourself into the story that says, I love you and I want to set you free from the slavery and bondage that sin has had over humanity since they've been around. I can free you from that by my work, by my blood. And so God, all of us who have put our faith in you, would we recognize and remember positionally we've been buried with you and we've been raised to walk in that newness of life. And someday we will see death defeated. 
We will see loved ones who have put their faith in you. We will see you face to face, not as a mirror dimly lit, as a shadow, but really there. Faith and hope are great, but love endures forever because we will see you. So God, as we take these elements, I pray that you would just reap the honor and the glory that those of us that would confess sins, that you have promised that you will forgive us of our sins. And those of us who can't even think of sins, that you would just open our eyes, that your spirit would make us aware of some deeper sins that are going on and that we've been set free from that. We love you. Pray that your spirit would just be present with us this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray.